Hold on. It's about to get real. real. Jenny Matthews is keeping it real about life, motherhood, pop culture, and everything in between. Get ready to hear all about it. Life's ups and downs, mama drama, cool new finds, hot topics, pop culture, and more. Let's go. This is real. Real is real. Real life. Hosted by Jenny Matthews. Well, look at you, Miss Taylor Swift. Just when I thought I couldn't love you anymore, you put out me, her new single with Brendan Urie of Panic at the Disco, and you put out this amazing video that is full of pastels, and it's beautiful, and it's happy, and it's a fun spring summer song, and I am absolutely obsessed. If you have not heard Taylor Swift's new song, Me, I would highly recommend and listening to it, but watching the video, because the video is what really makes me happy. It's full of just pastels and Taylor, her cats. <laughs> I am obs- I think I have something a little bit wrong with me. I am overly obsessed with Taylor Swift. I love her. I love everything she's ever put out. I think she constantly reinvents herself. She was kind of in a dark space with reputation. I loved the tour. I, was, that was one of the best concerts I've ever seen. Actually, every time I've seen Taylor, I would all the concerts, all the Taylor concerts are the best I've ever seen. I mean, she's just so, so good. But, you know, she was coming off that dark space of reputation and the snakes and the anger. Look what you made me do. And here she is now, just the snake at the beginning of the video for me, if you haven't seen it yet. It's a slithering snake and it turns into butterflies. And it's just... Taylor, you have outdone yourself, sister. I really love her. You know what I love about Taylor also? I love her heart. I love that she obviously has gazillions of dollars and could keep it all to herself if she wanted, but she does good stuff with it. She'll surprise fans randomly. She'll hear a story about a fan who's going through something or, I mean, she's paid college tuition. She's helped sick fans. She's just done a lot of stuff. And I really love her heart. And I love that she... Is very into social media and Tumblr, I think, is her real jam, where she gets a lot of real insight, she says, into her fans and what's going on with them. And she'll hear about a story or a situation. Like I said, she'll help with the college tuition or whatever a fan is struggling with. And I just love that about her. I think she is awesome. And so if you have not heard me, this is an endorsement for Taylor Swift is what this is. But no, truly, new music from Taylor Swift. And I couldn't love it more. And here's a funny thing, too. So she did this song and she's got uh, Brendan Urie from Panic at the Disco. Not going to lie. I like Panic at the Disco. I've always liked them. Um, Not one of my favorite bands by any stretch. But after hearing Brendan on this song with Taylor, I have a crush on his voice. I do. I do. I think his voice is just sexy and I like the way they sound together and I just think it was a perfect choice. I could go on and on about Taylor. One more thing about Taylor. I Just one more thing and then I'll stop talking about Taylor Swift. Um, but the Beyonce fans are pretty ticked. Now, I just watched the Netflix special Beyonce, her Coachella performance from last year and it's called Homecoming and she was amazing. If you haven't seen that special yet, I, look, I wasn't even a Beyonce fan and now huge fan. I respect her immensely. She's a hard worker, ridiculously talented, gorgeous with and without makeup. And she's just all the things. I love Beyonce now. But a lot of Beyonce fans very angry about Taylor Swift's performance of me at the Billboard Music Awards just a couple days ago. Because they say that she really ripped off Beyonce's whole idea of the drumline. And if you've seen the Netflix special, you know that that was an enormous part of what Beyonce did at Coachella last year. So they, some are saying that it was a real ripoff of Beyonce. I 
guess I can kind of see that. And the way that Taylor Swift came out on stage at the Billboard Music Awards, it was all the, the drum line happening, the marching band, it was all happening. And then Taylor Swift comes out and just strikes a pose. Very Beyonce-esque. But really, they're so different. And the song is really so different than anything that Beyonce is putting out, in my opinion. I think, okay, it's a little bit of a similarity. But I think to say it was a direct copy, maybe a stretch. Am I defending Taylor because I've always loved her? I don't know, because now I love Beyonce. So I don't know what the answer is there. But I do know that some Beyonce fans were not thrilled and they felt like, Taylor was copying. Anyway, that's what I wanted to talk about regarding Taylor Swift because she is just awesome and I will stop rambling about that now. Hi, how are you? (laughs) Other things going on in my life right now. I let my little girl get some pink highlights so that either makes me the world's coolest mom or insane. Um, She had a clip-in pink extension last year that she wore quite a bit, but she's an active kid. It would fall out all of the time, so she stopped wearing it. And since then, we've talked about getting some pink streaks in her hair. And I I talked about it, not really thinking that I was going to let her do it. But I found out about this semi-permanent dye. And so it ultimately just washes out within, I think, six weeks. It'll be completely washed out. But right now, it's she's got some hot pink highlights going on. And I think it's darling. And I also think when you're eight years old, you can totally rock any color hair. And she is a cool kid. You know, I've always told her, be a leader, not a follower. And I think she really takes that to heart. I mean, when I was her age, I don't know that I would have had the confidence to walk into school with pink highlights, but she couldn't wait to walk into school with pink highlights. She likes to be a trendsetter. She likes to be unique, and I love that about her. And so she is rocking the pink hair and looking cute as ever. And again, that either makes me a horrible mom or super fun mom. I don't know, or insane. But yeah, that's what's going on with the kids these days. Uh, Hair for me, bangs grown out. I'm really proud of myself. So... I'm going to tie this in with my brother, which I'm going to get to here in just a little bit. But my brother always told me that I had a giant forehead. And I don't know why. I think he was just being a brother. But in actuality, I don't really think I have a giant forehead. And even if I did have a giant forehead, I've seen plenty of women rock no bangs with a pretty big forehead. And look at Tyra Banks. And I'm not not saying this in a negative way. I think she's stunning. And she has a really big forehead. And she doesn't wear bangs. And why can't I feel confident enough to not wear bangs? Well, that was my big thing for a very long time. And my hairdresser, Mandy, God love her, for years has been like, Jenny, grow them out. It's fine. You don't have a big forehead. Whatever. Finally, I just decided to go for it. So months ago, I started growing out the bangs. You know, you get to where they're at your nose and it's that totally irritating point and I wanted to chop them so bad and I just kept going, kept going. They're probably an inch past my chin now, which is huge for me. I mean, I have not had this much of a bangs growth in a very long time and now that they've grown out, I've toyed with getting a bob to get the rest of my hair up to that length, which I still might do for summer. I'm not totally sure, Um, but I am very proud of myself. I'm proud of myself because I finally did it. I am embracing my forehead. I actually look at pictures of myself. Because are you like this too? Where I can look in the mirror and see one thing, but then I'll see a picture of myself and it's a totally different experience. (laughs) You ever see, like even an an outfit that you've worn and you think, oh, I'm rocking this. I look good. And you'll see a picture of yourself in that outfit and think, what (laughs) was I thinking? So yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of embracing my forehead and the bangs grow out and feeling pretty good about that. And so I was going to tie that into my brother and you're thinking, forehead, bangs, brother, where are we going with this? Well, this is the real uh, thing that I wanted to get to with this particular podcast because, you know, that's when I started this real life with Jenny Matthews. I 
want to talk about fun stuff and pop culture and Taylor Swift and music and all the fun things, but I also want to talk about hard things and things that I have gone through in my life that I believe have seasoned me. I like to say I'm very seasoned, um, you know, but have seasoned me, have, have impacted my life and I believe ultimately have made me who I am today. And you know what? I am proud of myself and who I am today because I've overcome a lot of things. And while I may have insecurities, we all have insecurities about bangs and foreheads and whatever, inside, I know who I am and I like who I am and I'm confident in who I am. And it has taken me a really long time to get that because I wasn't always that way. I was very, very insecure for a very long time and self-esteem issues. And definitely, as I said, I'm telling my daughter and my son to be leaders, not followers. And I was a follower for a time. And I, you know, it feels good to be on this side of things. So I want to share all about those things and those experiences that have shaped me. But I want to share about just life experiences in general, things that have happened that have made me have gratitude and appreciation. I have another podcast called Gratitude where I talk about something else that impacted my life in a big way. And I have those big things that I'll touch on each step of the way. Infertility was another big thing, but I actually ended up blogging about that more so than a podcast. And you can read that at JennyMatthewsOnAir.com if that's something that speaks to you. Um, It was something that was easier for me to write because there were so many details I didn't want to miss. And for people going through infertility, you want to know the details. You want the specifics of somebody's journey. So you can kind of compare it to your own. I know because I did that. And so that's why that's more of a blog. But this that I want to talk about now, I figured would be a good podcast because there's just feelings. There's just things I want to share. I don't even necessarily know what direction I'm going with this, but I wanted to share the story about my brother. And to get right to the point, he died of a drug and alcohol overdose. And this was, my gosh, what year was it? Was it 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, six years ago, which is crazy. Like time flies and I can't believe he's been gone for so long. It happened in the month of May. So that's why I think this is on my heart to talk about this at this particular point in the podcast. But also what sparked me wanting to bring this up is because I just read an awesome book. It's called Beautiful Boy. And you may have seen the movie. I knew about the movie and I knew about the book. It was one of those, I don't know if you're like this, where there, I have to be in the right headspace for certain things. Does that make sense? Do you know that I still haven't seen Marley and me? Because I know that it, and I don't think I'm spoiling anything here. The movie's been out for quite some time, but I know that a dog dies in that movie. And I lost my, one of my dogs years ago, but Like my pets are people to me and I just cannot watch that movie or read that book because I know what happens and I just can't go there. It's like my heart is not ready to think about that. So this beautiful boy book was something that I knew about and I knew about the movie, but I just wasn't ready because I knew it was going to stir up things within me and it did. So I read, I did end up reading it. I just finished it. It's beautiful boy, a father's journey through his son's addiction and If you have an addict in your life and addiction, I wish I had a statistic to throw out at you. I don't, but addiction is incredibly common and I can't, I have to believe every person listening to this podcast right now, you have been affected by addiction in some way. Maybe it's you, maybe it's someone you know and love, someone that you know through a friend. Addiction is just so prevalent and I know this is something that many, many can relate to. So this book is really good. Beautiful Boy by David Sheff. Number one New York Times bestseller, 
really powerful. His son, who the book is about, it's about his son's addiction, primarily meth. His son did a lot of drugs, a lot of different things, but meth was definitely his drug of choice. And Nick Sheff, the boy who the book is written about, well, not a boy, he's a man now, he has written his own book called Tweak. And it is incredibly powerful. It is his journey through addiction, his perspective. So you get the dad's perspective in Beautiful Boy, what it's like. And I, even though my brother obviously is my brother and not my child, it is a close relationship like that with an addict. And so... um reading the book, I related to so many of the things that the father felt. The constant not knowing and the constant wondering, are they alive? Are they dead? What's going on? So many things. Or going through rehab. I'll get to all this in a minute. But I could relate to so much of what the dad said and his perspective in Beautiful Boy. And then reading Tweak, Nick's perspective, the addict's perspective, that was really powerful for me to read. Number one, you know, to he's so candid. I honestly, with my anxiety, I was I was shaking a little bit while reading it because I couldn't help but wonder, and I'll never get to ask. My brother has passed away of an addiction, of an overdose. Um, I'll never get to ask him, but I I have to think my brother had very similar experiences. He is such an addict. This Nick Chef who wrote Tweak that at many points he becomes homeless or close to it, um, definitely on the streets doing whatever he had to do. And I mean, whatever he had to do to get his fix. And I know for a fact that my brother had to have had, had to have had really similar experiences because my brother was homeless for a long time. And I think that's something why when I see homeless people on the street, we all see them, you know, holding up the sign in the uh, median. Um, it always hits my heart probably in a different way than it hits most people. Um, and I'm not going to lie. I look at some. I'm like everybody else. I look at some and think, hmm, are you really? <laughs> and that's a terrible thing to think. But I think we've all thought it, right? I mean, you, you wonder like, how homeless are you? Or what's your situation? Or we'll look at those people and think, you just want this for drinking or drugs. Well, there's a good chance that that is exactly what they want it for and there's also a chance that they're completely struggling and have a family and they're homeless and this is how they're going to eat for the day I mean there's all the scenarios but I look at homeless people in such a different way and I have a I just wonder a lot of times you know because a lot of times you think where are their families you know how did this happen how did you get to that point well I can tell you how they got to that point because I have a brother who got to that point so to start I'm going to read to you something that I wrote. I posted this on social media after my brother passed away of an overdose. And again, this is about six years ago. I got the call that my brother had overdosed and died from my mom while I was on the air. I cannot tell you how many times I've been on the air and received horrible news over the phone. And it was a call that I knew I was going to get someday. Um, I didn't know when. But I knew that I was going to get the call. So I posted this on social media, and I'll start with this. He used to rip the heads off of my Barbie dolls and tickle my feet until I peed my pants. He'd made fun of my braces and gave me a complex about the size of my forehead. He once blindfolded me and hid me in his bedroom and told my parents that I ran away. I missed dinner. Did they really go ahead and eat? I was missing. He was my brother, and he did what brothers do, and I loved him so very much. 
I wanted to share this note about my brother Jimmy because there will not be an obituary in the newspaper or a large celebration of life. Only a handful of you even knew him personally, and those who did hadn't seen him or spoken with him for years anyway. My brother was an addict. A lot of people have been asking me lately, when did he go downhill? Well, that's honestly a difficult question to answer. He was always the bad kid. He always managed to seek out trouble, even in the most honest and innocent of situations. It started with a little marijuana here and there to a full-blown heroin addiction by the time he reached his 20s. He traded that for alcohol. He was drowning in it. It breaks my heart that to the rest of the world, he was viewed as a lowlife, a waste to society. When people learn of how he passed, they almost nod their heads as though to say, well, that explains it. It was bound to happen. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. And it did. See, I knew I'd get the call one day. I thought I had mentally prepared myself for it, but I have to tell you, it hit me harder than I ever imagined. A person can't really prepare for losing a sibling. He is so much a part of me, a bond that only siblings have. If you've lost one, you get it. Even though he broke my heart over and over and over, I knew he loved me and I loved him too. That unbreakable sibling bond. He was artistic. He was musical. He was funny. He was smart. And he was loved so much by a family who tried everything in their power to help him. He needed to help himself and he just couldn't. I know that I will see him again. I take comfort in that. I just wish that he could have known my children. I wish they could have known their uncle. I do know that as they get older, I will warn them about the effects of drugs and alcohol. It killed their uncle, my brother. Life is short. We all get one shot. I hope you'll make the most of yours. I plan to do the same. In the meantime, I'm going to hold on to the good memories and mental images of my brother. The rest doesn't matter anymore. He is finally free. So I wrote that. After my brother died of a heroin and alcohol overdose. How did it all start? So this is sibling perspective. And especially as a mom now, I think a lot about my mom back then and how as a parent she processed and had to deal with all the things she was discovering about her son. I think about that perspective a lot now. And I can't imagine because if I found out my kid was doing drugs I'd be crushed. I'd be devastated. And that is why I intend to share my brother's story openly, vividly, graphically with my kids. I want them to know you do drugs. There's a likelihood you're going to get addicted. There's a likelihood you're going to die from it. Period. Those are facts. So I intend to be really probably uncomfortably honest with them about that. But I think about a lot from my mom's perspective. As a sibling, I didn't know all of the details, but I remember the first time she discovered drugs in his room. She found mushrooms, and I'll be perfectly honest with you, I didn't even know what that was, what that meant. I did not understand how that was a drug or what it, what kind of a drug, no idea. But she discovered them in his room. I think she discovered some pot. I know she knew he was drinking a little bit, and she confronted him, and I think he denied it, as one would do, and then ultimately fessed up, and she realized that this was something that he had been dabbling in a little more even than what she discovered and that he, uh, you know, was definitely messing around with drugs and alcohol. And so I don't know at what point after that she placed him in a rehab and he's three years older than me. So I was 10. He was like 13. I remember that he went to a rehab, but I didn't even really understand what rehab. I didn't understand what rehab was. So it was just kind of one of those 
I'm watching this whole thing go down. What I really remember were how, was how I felt inside. I felt nervous and unsure and scared because I knew drugs were bad. And I thought, my brother is doing these things. This is bad. And I knew my mom was upset. It kind of rocked our house for a time. So he goes to this rehab. And I remember he came back home. And I guess I thought, well, everything's okay now. He's fixed. And that wasn't the case at all. He continued to get in trouble for drinking and drugs over and over and over. And, you know, I had a relationship with my brother that we both loved music a lot. And so I can remember hanging out in his room and I thought he was so cool. I really did. And in spite of all the bad things he was doing, I I saw different side of him. I knew what... I guess I just knew him a little deeper. My sister, very straight-laced, like very straight-laced, and just had no tolerance for him. And so I don't know that they had a very close relationship at all back then, but I, but we did. I mean, I remember hanging out with him, and I remember some good times, and those are the things that I hang on to in my mind. I also remember some extremely crazy times. I remember some really bad things, too. But, you know, I knew at some point that after... He got out of this rehab and continued to dabble. I just knew things weren't weren't good. It caused a lot of problems in our family. My mom was constantly stressed out and always seemed to be yelling at him. He was constantly getting in trouble, being defiant. It was just not a healthy environment. And so this went on and on. And gradually my mom, again, things that she knew that I didn't, found out that he was definitely getting deep into the drug and alcohol scene. At this point, heroin had not entered the picture. I, and I'm not, I mean, I think we all know that's, that's one of the worst. Um, I, he hadn't gotten to that point yet, but he had done enough and she knew enough that she knew that he had a problem and that he needed to go into a much longer term rehab. And this is several years after all of this happened with the first rehab. So she placed him in a rehab where he was for a year. He was 17. And the reason I remember that is because he checked himself out when he was 18. It was exactly a year later. So she did what she could do before he turned 18. But unfortunately, after 18, he it's up to him. So he was in this rehab for a year. And this was different. This was a full family experience. So it was maybe an hour from where we lived. And then two times a week, my mom would get finished with work she would come home grab me we would always eat fast food or something on the way we would go to this rehab and it was full family involvement so we would I would have sibling groups that I had to attend we would go into this big room with all of the addicts and all of the families stories would get shared back and forth pretty intense and I heard a lot of stuff that I'm not sure that I could even handle at that age really so what was I 14 yeah he was 17 I was 14 it was a lot. And he was in this rehab. And then part of this rehab, it's, it sounds crazy to me when I think about it now, but part of it was where the addicts would have to stay. They didn't have, there wasn't an actual facility for the addicts to sleep. It wasn't like a hospital situation. They would sleep at different families' homes who were in the program. So there were times, I feel like it was maybe once a month or something, where we would have, I don't know, six to eight addicts um, all in our home. There was always a leader of some sort, you know, watching them. It's not like they had free reign of run of our house or anything like that. No, not at all. But I remember we had to get this um, 
special alarm and put by the front door so that they couldn't escape during the night. They couldn't run away. I mean, crazy. And then I think about like me being a teenager with all these addicts in my house. But it all seemed I was part of the program and it all seemed, I guess, quote, normal at the time because it's just what we did. And we were all trying to make my brother better. We just wanted him to be, you know, drug free. We wanted him to be okay. So he's in this program and it's pretty intense and he seems to be doing well with it. I, you know, I, we thought this was really the answer. It was a pretty hardcore program. And like I said, 18 years old, he checked himself out because he could. And we thought he was okay. We thought he was going to be okay. He had just come out of a year long rehab. That's a lot of time. But as I know now with addicts, gosh, it just, it doesn't really matter how much time they can They can go back to their old ways. They can, and they do many times, and it's sad, and it breaks my heart. And it breaks my heart that my brother, shortly thereafter, went right back to his old ways and then really got so in deep that he was doing things, harder and harder drugs, and ultimately heroin is where he ended up. So he was a hardcore heroin addict, and he disappeared and he would disappear sometimes for weeks at a time, sometimes for months at a time. Sometimes it was years and it was awful. And I can remember getting phone calls from him. And it's crazy to me, too, that it would come out of the blue. I'm thinking in your drugged out state, how do you even remember my phone number or my email address or even know how to get in contact with me? But he always did. And he would call inevitably after a chunk of time. He would get in touch with me or get in touch with my mom. Typically, it was just us two. Like I said, I was the closer sibling to him. And definitely my mom was all he really had. Um and he would get in touch inevitably. And it was always a story. And I was always skeptical. And I never generally believed what he was saying. But I think there was a part of me that wanted to so badly that I would often give him the benefit of the doubt. And I would say, listen, doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been. I love you. I'm here for you. I'm proud of you. You can do this. I'm here to support you. Don't yell at me. But I would sometimes send him money thinking that he was on the right path. Ugh. I mean, the things you do for addicts, you want to believe so badly that they're going to be okay. And it got to where I, I wouldn't send him money because I knew, I just knew. I, ugh, we had a, a pattern of behavior. I started to recognize. I knew that exactly where that money was going to go and I wasn't going to support that. So I would send him clothing or I would send him a box of food. I would do things for him, but I would not send cash. And there are so many specific examples and stories that I could tell along the way, but I'm just giving you the general idea of what life was like as a, as a sibling of an addict. And so... He had gotten back in touch and I thought that he was doing better than he had before in any of the other times and he got in touch. I remember I was pregnant with Miles, so this is 2012 and he went to live with one of my aunts and my mom and I both told her, listen, he is an addict. We've been down this road. He's used and abused. We know, you know, we're we're at the point of tough love with him in that we want you to be in our lives. But listen, I had a daughter at this point, a husband, um, a son on the way. And for the safety of myself and my family, I simply could not have my brother come live with me. Now, don't think that this doesn't plague me. Don't think that I don't wonder, oh my gosh, what if? What if I had let him come into our home? What if I had taken him in? Could I have changed him? I The rational part of me knows No, because you can't change people. And addicts are especially hard to change because that is something so within. They have to be the ones to want to get better. Simply put, end of subject. And 
it was really hard because I had to tell my brother, I'm sorry, but you can't come here. You can't. I, I, nothing more than the mothering person in me wanted to bring him into my home and to take care of him and to make him better. And let's get you a job and let's get you all the things and let's get you on your feet. And I know my mom felt the same way. But again, you have to at some point think about yourself and the safety of yourself and your family, period, end of subject. So I didn't let him come live with me. My mom did not let him come live with her. And so my aunt did take him in. And I know that that came from a, a good hearted place. I know she thought that she could help him and fix him, but I knew that she couldn't. And, it, and she couldn't. <laughs> it didn't last. She ultimately kicked him out. I knew it would happen. Saw the writing on the wall. Been there, done that. So she kicked him out. And I know the guilt she has to be feeling to this day because she feels probably like I kicked him out. He went back on the street. He got high. He got intoxicated. It was a lethal dose and he died. I know she has to feel guilt over that. And I want her to know that it's not her fault. She tried. It was from a good place in her heart. But he, he loved drugs and alcohol more than anything. I mean, that was his end game. He wanted that. And he didn't care who he had to lie, cheat, steal from, use and abuse to get what he wanted. And that sounds like, man, what a horrible person. I don't think my brother's a horrible person. I never did. And I don't to this day. I think he did horrible things. And I think he did what he had to do because he needed his drugs. And simply put, that was the addict that was doing those things and not the person. And I, I guess because of what I have saw with him my whole life, I really do think there were two separate things going on. I also think there was mental illness going on. I think that went untreated. I, I really believe, and I'm not a psychologist, I don't know what I would necessarily diagnose him with, maybe bipolar, maybe borderline personality disorder. I don't know. But I definitely think that he had some mental health issues going on that needed to be treated and and they weren't. And even in the rehabs that he went to, they didn't look at those things. They didn't treat those things. And I believe that's such a key part of it. So anyway, she kicks him out. He goes out on the street and immediately gets drunk. And when I say drunk, I mean an addict to where he was drinking gallons of vodka a day. Gallons. Okay. And so got drunk. And what I do know is that when he was found, it was in the middle of the street. And he had taken a lethal injection of heroin on top of the ridiculous amount of alcohol that was in his system. Part of me wonders if he actually had been off the heroin as he had said he was when he was living with my aunt. I actually wonder if he truly was and he was just strictly drinking. And I mean, I'm not saying one's better than the other. Addiction is addiction. But I, I almost wonder couple scenarios. I wonder if he truly was only drinking and then he went back out on the street and he got that you know random dose of heroin. He hadn't had it in a while. His body wasn't used to it. So then he did too much and then boom, he died. That's one theory. Another theory that I have was that he knew exactly what he was doing and that he knew exactly how much to take in order to take himself out. I sometimes wonder if it wasn't suicide. And I'll tell you why, because he was found in the middle of of the street. And here's what's crazy. And I believe there are small blessings in, in every situation in life, but check this out. So, you know, he had been homeless. I mean, he, he didn't, he hadn't had a job or a, a car or a home or, or the, any of the things that a normal person has to live. He didn't have any of that. When he lived with my aunt for that short period of time, she had taken him to get, I don't think it was a driver's license. I think it was an identification card. So he had an ID card that he happened to have tucked in his back pocket when he was found in the middle of the street. 
that's a blessing because he would not have been able to been identified. That's the only reason that we knew. That's the only reason that my mom was able to be contacted and know that her son had died because he was in the middle of the street. And I swear there's a part of me that wonders if he planned it that way, if he knew where to go, where to be when he, when he took that final dose. I don't know. I'll never know, but I feel very strongly that it could have been a suicide. And because he had told me in the past that he had tried to kill himself several times and he laughed about it. He laughed about it. He said, I failed. He said, I tried to hang myself and you know, the, it, it didn't work, whatever. He told me a bunch of things and he just said, I, every time I tried, it, it wouldn't work. He said, I just, I can't even kill myself. Right. It was the saddest, saddest thing anyone has ever said to me. But when he said it, I thought, you're miserable. You hate this life you're living. I knew he hated the life he was living. I don't think any addict wants to be an addict. I really don't. I think it's something that at some point they don't have a choice or say in the matter. Um, Rehab didn't help him. He couldn't do it on his own. I couldn't do it for him. No one could. And ultimately, he overdosed and died or took too much knowingly. And died. And I knew that was going to be the end result. I knew it. The day my mom called, I can hear her voice in my head to this day, trembling and sick and sad and ups- just, it's so shocking to the system, but yet not because we all knew, we knew it was going to happen. And the craziest thing is, and, and there's guilt in me feeling this way or saying this, I have peace because I know where he is. He is no longer suffering We had him cremated and we sprinkled his ashes in a beautiful place. And I know there's peace in that. And he is is free. He's finally free. So I have felt my brother's presence with me. I'll tell you a couple stories. One, when we moved into our new house, my little boy was two and we were in my bedroom and I had just fed him and I was just kind of loving on him. And he said, this is going to freak you out. This freaked me out. He said, mommy, in, in the way a two-year-old would say it, uh, mommy, man in the corner, mommy, man in the corner. I, 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 I freaked out. <laughs> I thought, what man in the corner? There's no man in the corner. But I had a chair in the corner of my room. And I swear to this day, you can think I'm nuts. I'm sure there are people that think I'm completely crazy every time I say this story, but it happened. It's true. And I am convinced that it was my brother. And I'm convinced that he was there in that moment because, gosh, he would have loved my son. Mm, he would have loved my son. And he he was so, he would have had so much fun with him. He, there's so many things. He would have had, there's so much life he could have lived and would have loved to have lived. And mm, I think that's what just crushes me the most. So I am just sure in my heart that he was there that day. I want to believe that anyway. And then the next time I remember his presence, feeling his presence. I was, I don't remember. It was crazy day. Kids were nuts. I needed to get out of the house. Moms, you've been there. And got in the car and I started driving to go, I was going to go shopping just literally to take my mind off of life and just go have a moment (laughs) of sanity. So got in my car, got on the highway and I turned on my radio and there are several songs that remind me of my brother, not necessarily the lyrics, but just the songs that we both loved, music that we loved. So U2 was one of the bands that we both connected on. We both loved U2 very much. And where the streets have no name, man, that was a jam we just loved. And wouldn't you know it, I'm in the car, turn on the radio, and that's the song that's playing. So I, of course, cranked it up. And then I felt his 
presence. And I'm not making this up. He, I felt him touch my shoulders. I felt him around me. I just, I just felt him and I burst into tears and I just continued to listen to the song. And then wouldn't you know it when that song was over, I flipped to another station and the song that came on next was an Ed Sheeran song that I had just talked to him about. Ed Sheeran was kind of just coming on the scene right when he died or right before he died. And um, I, I, again, our love of music. And I had told him, Hey, have you, have you heard of this Ed Sheeran guy? Have you, you know, and it it was, it was a song that, um, that I had just told him about. And that came on next. And I thought that is no accident. I felt him. The songs came on. I don't know. It was very real to me. And it was cool. It was a cool moment to have. And so now you're really going to, you're probably going to be rolling your eyes pretty hard at me. Or maybe not. Maybe this is your thing. I contacted a psychic medium. I think just curiosity. But, oh, I was big into Long Island medium. And I thought, well, there's no way I'm going to get her to talk to me. So I'll try this other lady that I had heard about through a friend who had an amazing experience with her. And she told her some things that were just spot on. So I decided to give this lady a call. And, oh, I have get chills when I think about it. Our conversation was crazy spot on about not just my brother, but like other people that have passed really spot on. This lady was good. And she told me all kinds of stuff about my brother. And she said to me, she knew about those times. And she said, you know, he was there with you. So when she said it, I thought, "Mm, okay, validation, even if she's full of it. I don't know. It was all the validation I needed. But like I said, more than anything, I felt it. I felt him with me. I felt his presence. And it was cool. It was a cool moment to have. I don't have very many pictures as adults with him. I only saw him, you know, really a handful of times toward the end because, as I said, he was deep, deep, deep into his addiction and he was homeless for a lot of that. So, I don't have a ton of pictures. Um, I have childhood pictures, lots of those. And like I said, memories. But even memories, those are few and far between also. Because like I said, I, I have those ones of like hanging out in his room, listening to music, things like that. But there was so much drama with him all along the way and with the rehabs and just constantly getting in and out of trouble and stuff. We didn't have a whole lot of great family, warm and fuzzy moments. We just didn't. We went on a family trip to New York City once. And I remember holding his hand and ice skating, and I can kind of picture that in my head, things like that. But addiction sucks. It really sucks. And if you are struggling or if you have struggled and you're recovering, first of all, if you're recovering, man, high five, super major kudos to you because it is not easy. It is hard. And if you know an addict or if you are related to an addict, you probably could relate to some of this stuff because it's just... Doesn't matter the drug, doesn't matter the drink. Addiction is addiction is addiction. And it's hard. And I have walked it, as I said, as a sibling. And I've met people along the way who have an addict in their life. And I've helped them. I hope I've helped them, but we've talked about it. And I've let them know tough love is hard. And it's really hard because you want to fix them so badly. You want to fix them with all your might and you can't and it sucks. And so you have a decision to make. If it's a relationship, you have a decision to make. Is this a relationship that I want to continue on with or do I want to 
bail out now. I mean, that's the tough, tough decisions to make as far as that goes. With a sibling or a family member, you know, you can you can kind of cut them out of your life, but you can't write them off. And that's where I think I am with my brother. It's like he did horrible things and he hurt people and he stole, he lied, he cheated. He was in jail many times. I didn't even mention that. Um, most people would look at him like a complete low life. And I think that's where we as a society judge each other in general. And again, judging the homeless people that you see holding up the signs on the corner. Everybody has a story. How did they get to that point? And I think that's what runs through my mind every time. I'm like, how did they get to that point? And I wonder, are they like our family? Do they have a great family standing by, but they just have no connection to them anymore? How did they get to that point? So I hope that encourages you and me too, because again, I can judge just like the rest of us, but I hope it is a reminder to me and an encouragement to others to just try not to judge because we don't know what somebody's going through in life in general. That's the final message. But I just wanted to share that story. It was on my heart. Again, reading those books really brought a lot of it back and reading from the addict's perspective was really helpful for me because I think that's one thing I struggled with for a long time. Maybe not so much anymore after reading that book, honestly. But I struggled with it because for me, if I say, okay, I, I think I'm having a little problem here with uh, drinking iced tea every day. I think I'm going to, I need to stop drinking iced tea. Well, I'm going to stop drinking iced tea. You know what I mean? I feel like I'm a person that can say it to myself and do it. And that's the end of that. Very cut and dry. And with my brother, I guess I always wanted to know, why can't he just stop? Why can't you just say, I don't want to do this anymore and stop doing it? And then I realize now that it's just not that simple. And addiction is a disease. And it's something that I don't think I'll ever fully understand because I don't have it. But I have perspective now that I needed. And these books gave it to me. So I really do encourage you to read. I haven't watched the movie yet, Beautiful Boy. But I have to believe the movie is probably pretty good. It's all based on the book. And it's a father and son and all about uh, their journey through addiction. And then, of course, Tweak, the son's version of events from the addict perspective. Both really good. So I'll just leave you with that. I know this wasn't a super happy topic today, but it's, you know, life's not all butterflies and rainbows. That's kind of what I'm all about with this real life with Jenny Matthews thing. So, again, thank you for listening, for all your great feedback. If you ever need someone to chat with about this topic, if you are a sibling of an addict or if you feel that somehow you could relate and just kind of need somebody to connect with on it, I'm here for you. You can connect anytime, JennyMatthewsOnAir.com. I have my blog up there as well. And uh, just thank you. Thank you for checking out the podcast. Appreciate you. You're listening to Real Life with Jenny Matthews. Check out Jenny's blog and more at JennyMatthewsOnAir.com.